0: York City headquarters. I'm Adam Tudor, and right here with you, I'm Zach wall and this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, before we jump into uh, this,
1: week's epi- um, this week's episode, yeah, have you watched Chernobyl on HBO? No, this is like this is going to be like a recurring segment, which is like pre prestige TV show that Zach hasn't seen any of, which at least I'd seen some just, of you. You just don't have HBO because uh, if you want to share my password, that is maybe a small part of it. Uh, I just this is this is maybe like a this is just a personal preference. I you prefer Real Housewives? <laughs> uh, no. I, I t- this is a, this is a totally honest thing. Like I, for me with television, the things I watch are live sports and like mostly comedies. I don't I can't I do heavy I read heavy I watch documentaries, but for whatever reason, TV to me is a medium I've never been able to get like into these sort of, like, epic or and or, like, just super depressing TV shows. For whatever reason. For, for me, as an adult, TV has mostly been an escape or, like, or whatever sports is, which is an escape. And also, I hear that. As a Seattle sports fan, mostly just heartbreak.
0: I um, hear that, though. I yeah. hear that. Like, I know a lot of people who say they don't like to go watch dramas or things like that, or movies, horror. They just want to see comedies. Because they're like, look, my, like, life is already kind of horrific. Yeah, there's so a lot of shit you know, out there. Right, so I just, just want to, you know...
1: I, want to I will say, though, Chernobyl is amazing. So, what, so okay, so I, you, I've heard this, and, and why? Like, what is it about so, it that's a So, killer? basically,
0: it's, it's the first true, you know, um, it's the first true depiction of what happened that's been, it's, you know, narrative nonfiction. So, it's pretty much nonfiction besides a few characters in which there were so many people that did, that were involved in certain things. They created one character to represent them. Um, but it's extensively researched. It's actually really amazing. There's a podcast that happens after every single episode where they go through with the writers and directors all the research they did, all their source material. And it's just... It's really interesting for, I think, a lot of us who either were very young when it happened, weren't alive when it happened, etc., but have heard of this huge disaster, which was actually worse in terms of deaths than the dropping of the nuclear bombs, which is insane, to, you know, understand what happened, um, how it happened, and you know, politically, what we were going through as a country at that time, and what was happening in the Soviet
1: Union. I think part of it, maybe without having actually seen any of it, <laughs> might also be that there's there there always was this sort of sense that, like, we didn't know what really happened, because it happened behind the Iron Curtain, right? right it happened, you know, and for probably understandable reasons, like, the Soviet government was not interested in... No, they covered like, it all up. Yeah, in, in making it known how, how sort of dramatic and traumatic and... And catastrophic a disaster it was. And, and, you know, you have to think like, you know, when we think about the other sort of significant nuclear disasters in, in the world's history, uh, not even talking about the dropping of the atomic bombs, although those are obviously a, a whole other thing, but, but Three Mile Island or um, even uh, Fukushima Daiichi uh, played out in sort of modern, relatively liberal countries where there was some amount of reportage and you could sort of learn what had happened in more not real time exactly but shortly thereafter and yeah Chernobyl has always had this element of mystery to it Yeah. so I get the draw for for the subject matter it's just interesting to me that you know that this this sort of like uh, that, that when historical um, events become Pop culture—it's odd. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, I think I it's think, great, but, but I, I think it's it's weird.
0: I think what's interesting about the show, which is a perfect segue into our conversation, is that what it shows is that when there's a lack of news coverage or political, you know, when, when politics is is told to be re- removed from that coverage, it hides a lot of what actually happened. So the, even the people who were living during the time, because you weren't allowed to be critical or question the state, you couldn't say, "Is there some mistakes that could have been made?" Right. Why is there graphite on the ground at this explosion? Well, we're not supposed to question that. There's just graphite on the ground. Well, but the graphite's on the ground because there actually was an explosion, and that's, that's crazy. It's, it's insanely radioactive. Don't touch it. Lots of people touched it. You know, are we allowed to question whether or not we should trust being told we can stay in this area, or should we flee? Well, we're being told right now, it's safe because the government doesn't want to admit that it's not safe. Mm-hmm. So, because of all of all of that, and because of just like covering the work, because of the way that journalism worked there, and you weren't allowed to sort of cover in a very open way journalistically, a lot of this disaster was made worse. Mm-hmm. Um, which is kind of a segue, I guess, into our conversation, which is about politics in covering of the drinks business. Yeah, right, what we're talking about today. So we have our editor in chief Emily Saladino joining us.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: And yeah, this, you know, I think. This is a topic we've wanted to talk about for a while now. You and I, Zach, we've gotten um, we've we've chatted about it, and a lot of that's because Emily you um, deal with it a lot. We get lots of emails, lots of articles um, about you know stick to stick to wine, stick to beer, stick to you know stick to spirits, stick to cocktails. Basically, keep keep politics out of your coverage of the world of drinks, and we've all said that's pretty impossible. What do you think, Emily?
2: Yeah, you know it's interesting. I, I was thinking about it, Zach, when you were saying like I often choose to watch television that's a bit lighter, whether it's the heartbreak of a local sports team or a heartwarming comedy. You know, there's we go to you know we go to different sources of um, entertainment, for lack of a better word, um, for different reasons, right? And so there are times when like I too just want to read. A recipe with a beautiful photograph, and it's, it's a bit escapist, um, and it's, it's like a hobby, right? Like, I, I love to cook, and I like to make drinks, so there are definitely times when that's what I'm looking for. Um, unfortunately, to say, you know, stick to beer or stick to drinks, like, uh, there's politics inherent in everything we eat and drink. Um, we don't always want to engage with them, almost almost never we do yeah and so like that's you know that's the thing you can't tell me that I'm putting politics into what you eat or drink it's there um you know I I was thinking about it Zach when you were saying like what you like to watch and what you don't is like I just can't make myself watch The Handmaid's Tale I'm like I'm good like I've got enough of this drama and like my day-to-day news cycle like I'm good um but I get it right for other people it's it's actually quite cathartic and so different things are going to appeal to different people um for me as you know as someone who's who's worked in food and beverage for so long i i love the political and identity politics that are inherent in what i eat and drink i actually find it really inspiring it's it's what gets me excited about some beverages and i think to a certain degree it is it's pretty hard to not be aware of it, but sometimes you just don't want to be. I think that's right. the thing, right? Like it's it's a preference. It's not like it's not something we put in. It's something we choose not to see. I
0: and mean, is that like the general sort of criticism that you think you know, Vine Pair is often criticized for? Any other you know, drinks and beer sites that they, they that certain readers like were specifically and purposely putting in politics.
2: I think anytime someone tells someone else like. Why are you getting political? What they aren't saying, and maybe don't realize they're like, what they're actually telling me is, like, why are you putting something that's not my politics into it?
0: Right. <laughs> like, why are you putting something that I don't like, believe in or I don't really
2: Yeah, like, it. it's only, quote-unquote, political when it's not your politics. You know, the the reason I say that and the reason I'm laughing, um, you know, Adam, you've referred to, like, some letters that we've gotten. I think it's really fascinating. So, we, we cover the corporatization of beer quite a bit. It's, uh, you know, as you, if you listen to this podcast, you're probably aware that it's a hot button yes. issue. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, the, there's a lot of politics in that, you know, in, in craft v. corporate, right? In um, macro versus craft beer, what constitutes independence and why. There's a lot of identity politics there. And yet... Those are not the stories that find me on the receiving end of of emails from folks saying things like stick to beer, right? Like, that is political, but for some reason, for many readers, that's okay. Um, Once we start talking about race, gender, sexuality... That's when some readers, it just it gets their, you know, just gets their goat. They are suddenly very uncomfortable. And I'm like, to a degree I get it. If these aren't issues that you spend a lot of time thinking about, you're like, why are you inserting that in my beer? But like to that I say like it's already there, whether yeah. or not you see it.
1: Well, and I think a big part of this that, that needs to be said is that the kind of people who say stick to beer to wine, to spirits, are people for whom the status quo works and the stick to argument it's funny you know I, I, I got my start in journalism and sports journalism and sports journalism maybe even more than this industry is full of people being told to stick to sports and I think we've seen through a whole variety of different um, sort of threads and topics over the last you know however many years that sports is not an apolitical arena any more than this is and the, the kind of people who say, you know, don't cover identity politics, don't cover race, gender, sexuality, etc., are the kind of people for whom the longstanding status quo in this country is has worked. You know, they are, you know, probably white, probably male, probably straight. And so this idea that there is a non-political space basically just means there's a space where they are not being challenged in any way. And that is not the reality, you know, that is not what life is like in, you know, 2019, that that we have to all be aware that to some extent, the status quo does not work for everyone. And that, and that that is, that is just as true in this industry as in any other. And that if we don't, you know, not that every single thing that is published content on VinePair has to explicitly deal with these real challenges and questions of, of, you know, diversity and representation and equality, but that when those are central to the conversation, they can't be ignored. I also think, you know, the other part about this to me, and I think this is an area where I don't know, Emily, if you get pushback on this, but is the very real threat to these industries that climate change poses. And climate change, I mean, maybe is now almost an, a political topic, because outside of sort of a certain segment of, the political population you, you can't find yeah, truthers yeah but you <laughs> can't you almost can't find anyone involved in in beverage production on the production side who isn't thinking you can't about find this. you can't find anyone involved who's, who's involved in agriculture who
2: agriculture yeah, yeah, yeah
1: exactly and, and they all rec- and, but even people who are maybe not the growers but you know we talked about this adam a while back about the the coming challenge of water um as relates to beer and and beverage production generally you know that even you don't even have to be the person who grows the the grain or hops or grapes or whatever you just have to be someone who has to buy those things make them to recognize that there are these very real challenges that that, the climate change poses and so again how can we cover this industry this this world and just be like "Eh, you know that stuff doesn't matter or or, or we're going to only relegate that to one article occasionally that's like clearly about that topic and i think it's very relevant to have this conversation and and Emily, I'd be curious, you know, do you feel like, um, you editorially there, there's a balance that, that, or not a balance that there is, there is any sort of place where this doesn't touch?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think in general, um, when you work as an editor, you spend a lot of time, I think balance is actually a, a great word. You spend a lot of time like thinking about balance and about mix, I guess would be like the, the music industry version, right? Like the mix of what we're putting out there. So yeah, there there are publications, um, you know, I don't, I don't work at like Harper's. Like there's publications where it's all long form, right? And that's what people go to that publication for. And it's incredible. Um, There are places where you're like, I want to look at memes. And, you know, like there's just, there's, as I said, like, there's something for everyone. It's not always the same. You might be a meme guy or gal today and a long form tomorrow, you know. And so for me as an editor, I'm I'm always looking to balance. Um, I don't ever want to be one note. I don't want us to be Preachy with like my political agenda, um, you know. As a journalist, I don't want to put a political agenda out there. Um, so no, it's 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 not that. Like I'm not trying to balance one, you know, one viewpoint against another. I'm kind of trying to balance an entire mix, like an entire editorial spectrum for people, whether it be the subject matter at hand, the format, mm-hmm. um, you know, who's writing it, and why. You're not. You're not out there
0: like just commissioning the climate change spicy margarita uh, <laughs> recipe. You know what I mean? Like, that's not what you're doing. But it's
2: emilyadvinepair.com. <laughs> Pitch me that margarita. No. <laughs>
0: like, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's, it's more – yeah, it's, it's thinking about everything. I mean, I think one of the conversations we have every week in the editorial meeting is, you know, like there's a lot of tariffs that are being either threatened or passed right now. I don't see how, as a as an organization that considers ourselves, you know, journalists – that we cannot cover that, and how it impacts the the industry that we cover.
2: Yeah, no, exactly. I, um, you know, I think that to to avoid things like climate change, um, and you know, the varying degrees of the ways that um, trade agreements affect agriculture and um, manufacturing in the U.S. like. To avoid doing that is also a political statement, right? right. So, like, that's what I mean. Where I'm like, everything, whether or not, you know, and Zach, when you were saying, like, the status quo, it's like, if you think, I'm bringing race into it by talking about my ethnicity. Like, I got to tell you, like, you are too by not talking about yours. Like, you just, unfortunately, like, this is just reality. Um, And so, like, that's the thing, right? Like, if you make the decision not to cover something because it seems politically touchy, that in and of itself is a political statement.
1: 100%. 100%. So, I have a sort of related question, I guess, about this, which is, you know one of the one of the things that i think has been really cool about uh, the way vinepair has covered this these sort of topics and in other publications as well to be fair is this idea of you know we have to recognize the very real blind spots that have existed in this industry on both the production side and on the journalistic side and so how you know how do you emily i guess and, and adam too how do you kind of try to Find those blind spots and and address them. You know whether it's maybe just sort of looking out for pitches from differing viewpoints or soliciting maybe sometimes content from people who can represent a different viewpoint. Like, like what is that process like on the on the I guess the editorial and the content side?
2: I guess what do you mean by blind spots? Sorry.
1: Well, so whether it's voices, so like I mean, um, you know, whether it's voices of um, people who represent whether it's, a you know, an ethnic or racial group, a gender group, or just people who's, who have been marginalized in maybe society broadly, but specifically in the drink space. You know, I think it, it can be hard sometimes because those groups have been marginalized to think even about, um, you know, the who those people are. You know, you, I, now I'm blanking because we're doing this live and I can't <laughs> but You guys just ran a really beautiful uh, feature piece um, about sort of disability access in, oh, yeah. in the sort of, Restaurant bar scene and how both on the which Emily (laughs) wrote, she's a hack. (laughs) uh, Both on a both from the perspective of people who are working in the industry who may have sort of who may be disabled in some way and need accommodation, and also people who are patrons who may need accommodations. You know that there's a group that. I will admit, when I was reading that piece, I was like, you know, I never thought about that, from, especially from the staff side. You know, we think about it from the, as someone who works in a restaurant, you think about accommodating guests' needs in whatever way possible. But you don't think about is this industry in some way not even allowing a certain segment of the population in because they don't fit our pre- preconceived notion of who can do a job in the same way that, unfortunately, like the, that like women have been, have been, in a lot of ways, if not uh, totally excluded, at least, Sort of discouraged from certain parts of the beverage industry because they were not, you know, didn't fit the traditional stereotype of who was a sommelier or winemaker or whatever. So, so how do you, so, so like that story in particular, like how is that something that you think of as like there is there is this missing uh,
2: piece here? Yeah, I mean, I don't, as I said, like I don't have an agenda that I'm looking to push. I look for great stories. Um, I look for great stories told by thoughtful writers who are passionate and have a great perspective mm-hmm. and that can be anything you know that can be a perspective that is similar to mine it can be a perspective that's radically opposed to mine it's not you know it's not about me <laughs> um <laughs> as much as I wish it all were no it's you know it's it's less my viewpoint and you know what I do or don't deem worthy so much as it's something that like this is a story you know the the thing about that the the Piece that you mentioned that relates to ableism in um, the restaurant and bar world. Um, this man, Yannick Benjamin, who's this extraordinarily esteemed sommelier, and he's in a wheelchair. Um, he has an organization called Wheeling Forward that, that works with folks who are in wheelchairs to help acclimate and like give opportunities to them. Um, and interviewing him and working with him um, on that piece opened my eyes to a lot of like the isms in our lives, right? And that's, that's the thing about a story is like you, you don't go in being like, I'm going to interview Mr. Benjamin, and I'm going to prove X, you know, it's like I go into this, and I'm like, I'm going to interview him and like, see how the story takes shape. And then I'm going to go back to him and talk to him about, you know, YZ ABC that came up out of our interview in my research. And, you know, then I'm going to interview some other folks who've worked with him to see what perspectives they might have, you know, and so that's kind of what I mean where it's like I, I just look for a great story and so if it's that's one that I wrote, right? But like if it's one that someone else is is writing or wants to write, I look for that sort of really comprehensive journalistic approach where you're not you're not covering something so that you can prove your point about climate change. You're covering something that's an important issue. Yeah,
0: I one hundred percent agree. I mean I think we don't sit here in editorial meetings or in the you know, from the from the seat of publisher and editor and say, we are going to, you know, convince everyone of the one thing we believe. I mean, obviously we have our own biases. I mean, I, I 100% think that there have been marginalized voices that need to have a voice, and we definitely want to tell really great stories and, and some on these points, but we're not sitting here saying, like, oh, here's my agenda. Like, this isn't Fox News. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not, you know, I don't have one agenda, which is to try to blow smoke that this guy's not the worst person in the world. Like, I just... To be honest, we just want to tell really good stories and um, stories that give you perspective on culture and let you see the world, as we say, through the lens of the glass. I think that's what makes what we're doing so different from what almost any other publication is doing, is that it is about larger stories than soil composition.
2: Yeah, and you know, I think um, something that you you sort of hit on, Zach, is... um, When I when we're hiring um, staff members here, right? Like I look for. I look for folks who have expertise that I don't have because I'm like, oh, how perfect. Um, And ditto when I'm working with writers on stories. So that can be because they have a a perspective that I don't see enough of in food and beverage writing 100%. Like, that's all I want, right, is to get someone whose perspective I haven't seen before, someone whose perspective might not be identical to mine, whose expertise is very different from mine. That's fantastic. Like, that's the most exciting thing, Mm. I think, as an editor, but also just like as a reader and like person in this world you know I I think it's funny the world is large there's so many stories left to be told there's so many cool drink stories that I've not yet read that's something that like gets me excited about my job and and gets me excited to read in this space you know to read Vine um, but and to read any you know any talented writer and what they're working on Um, the politics is really sticky I worry like in this episode that people are going to be like Bummed out, because we're like, it's tough out there. Don't watch that show. No, but like, no watch yeah, A solid endorsement for Chernobyl, which I also haven't seen because I don't have HBO either. Anyway, thank you. That was actually. HBO, you better not block out his account. <laughs> Dude, yeah,
0: don't shut me down, please. No, no. I ha- actually I heard the CEO giving a talk about how he knows that everyone shares their password and they're like good with it
2: oh that's nice because I think
0: eventually you'll just like get sh- you'll get
1: bored of sharing my password and then ultimately like you'll get your own yeah we'll or have, like, like you don't want us to know we don't want you to know what we're watching on yeah. here yeah. or we're we'll all like, like falling out yeah
2: <laughs> But no, I I don't know. I, I don't want people to hear this idea of like everything being political and feeling like extraordinarily overwhelmed. It's easy to feel overwhelmed. What I think is cool about working in food and beverage is that like it's a really accessible and an inclusive way to approach these issues that can be really tough. Yep. I was going to say tough to swallow, and that's a terrible pun. <laughs> no, go for it. I like did it, and then I thought about it, and then I, I was like, I still got it. Gotta. Uh, <laughs> no, I think that's what
0: that's
1: what makes you know. Lifestyle journalism in general is so interesting, you know? Well, and I think what's also nice is that as much as some of these topics and and whether they're, you know, whether they're about things like climate change or sort of who and whose voices are heard and are not heard, those can be divisive topics in some cases, but also this topic, beverage, can be very unifying. You know, one thing that is true is that sometimes we can find common ground with people who we may not have a lot of common ground with through sharing a beverage that, that, and, and through that we can... Actually, reach a common place. You know, uh, as much as I think all of us can look at our own political beliefs and say, like, oh, you know, we don't, we may not have, um, you know, we may we may have certain things that we may not say share with the average Fox News viewer. I'm sure that there are maybe a few of you out there listening to this who are Fox News viewers. I'm sure that some of you are VinePair readers. There, there have to be. And we may not be able to agree on things that are overtly political. We are our, our place. Or the MSNBC
0: viewer. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Our our, our the anti vaxxer or whatever. Um, the person, we, the place we may find a, a common ground may only be in the sharing of a beverage, and that may not be as significant as our vision for how the world should work. But it is at least a place of commonality, and I think that is something that shouldn't be overstated. About you know, that's one of the things to me that is actually really. Um, delightful about working in this field is that you can find common ground with a whole host of people even even if that common ground is only in sharing class.
2: Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think it's it's silly and it's short sighted to believe that only people who share certain characteristics with one another can hang, right? Like there's plenty of people with whom I don't ostensibly have a lot in common and who I like value deeply um, and you know who i i personally am inspired by and would love to you know pour a glass with like of course you know i think that's that's like just that's being humans right like that's, it's, it's not all bad it's not all bad out there folks it's not all moral bad. of this episode not all it's, bad. Not all bad. it's not all
1: bad
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean yeah i think i think that that's totally true i think the moral of the story to to you know bring this one to a close is that yeah? I mean, there's just there's just no way, right? There's no way that we can cover our world and not at some point cover things that someone is going to think is political. Whether we're covering climate change, whether we're covering manufacturing of the table at which we sit at now in Furniture Digest, or what you know, or whether we're talking about you know actual elections and watching CNN, Fox, and MSNBC, like. Everything at some point has to come back. That's that's why we live in a democracy. We live in a democracy that we can make decisions that we either – so we can change what we agree and don't agree with, right? So that we can try to move things forward. And so if, you know, you don't like that your wine might go up in prices, then you need to be aware of that so that you can try to vote for people that – Will you know make help your wine prices go down? That's that's how the world works. Yeah.
2: Right. Yeah. Or like you know what you're like. I don't want to make that vote. I just have to come to terms with the fact that my wine is more expensive. Exactly. Right. Like it's you just you can't divorce them. Um. You know, a, a woman who's written some stories for us, who I really admire as a writer, wrote this piece for the Washington Post about um the the Green Book was this book that existed for Black American travelers in the Jim Crow era South in America, and what it basically was was like a guidebook of places you could go. So like restaurants that would be hospitable lodging that would be cool um, and like I remember when this piece was published, I saw a lot of folks really reacting positively to someone telling a story that they hadn't heard prior, and I thought that was really interesting. I was like, this is something that's been deemed political. It's actually historical fact, and it goes to show just how integral politics are to our experience in hospitality. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like Yannick Benjamin, like, it's not about him having an agenda. Like, the man's just a gifted sommelier who wants to work in restaurants, and so, like, we're going to find a way to have restaurants be a bit more wheelchair accessible like these are not necessarily soapbox issues they certainly can be and like believe you me (laughs) get a couple of drinks in me and i'll get on a soapbox no problem um but no it's you know this isn't something that i approach from that perspective as an editor and that i think a lot of readers are looking for it's more about examining the world around us with just honesty yeah
0: totally well i mean i think with that this was a really really interesting conversation Um, I hope to the listeners we've given you a little bit more clarity on how we go about, you know, choosing the stories that we do here at Vine Pair and covering what we cover. Emily, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Um, And everyone, thank you for listening, and we will see you back again next week. Sounds great. Thanks for listening to Vine Pair. We'd love to hear what you think. Feel free to drop us a line at podcast at vinepair.com. And if you really love the show, we'd love if you'd rate it and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews and ratings really help other people discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is recorded in New York City at Vine Pair headquarters and in Seattle, Washington at Cloud Studios. Our engineer is Nick Patrie, and the show is produced by Zach Jawahl and me. Our show logo was designed by Daniel Gridberg. Special thanks as well to the entire Vine Pair staff, including but not limited to my co-founder, Josh Mallon, and our editor-in-chief, Emily Saladino. Thanks so much for listening, and see you next week.